Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple and the host of the Project Purple Podcast. We have another interview for you coming up with a very special guest after a few quick updates. We are on pace for another record year, which is just, it's a blessing and amazing. And I just want to thank everyone who has supported, donated, or participated in a Project Purple event in 2023. You guys allow us to do all the great things that we do here at Project Purple, supporting patients and providing critical research. We already have launched many of our 2024 marathon teams, which is just crazy. We're not even through the 2023 and we've already launched 2024. We also have a, a team back at the Kofax Marathon with our half and relay teams as well. And exciting news, we are back in the Boston Marathon as an official charity partner. This now makes us an official charity partner of the five largest world marathons. To learn more about all these great events, visit our website at projectpurple.org and make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date on all things Project Purple. Without further ado, let's meet our guest coming to us all the way from Oakland, California, author and pancreatic cancer survivor, Anna Brazel. Anna, welcome to the Project Purple podcast. Thanks, Dino. It's nice to be here. Well, uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I know we were playing kind of uh, get to know each other. This is the first time you and I meeting. Uh, I know you're very active on social um, with regards to what you've been doing and everything that you have going on in your life. And I, I, I get really excited when we bring people that I've never met uh, that have been, you know, uh, touched by this thing called pancreatic cancer. And we have this opportunity here on the podcast, as I was saying, you know, we're almost up to 300 episodes and it's just awesome when we can share stories. And um, as you mentioned, episodes of, of what people have experienced with pancreatic cancer. And this is why we do what we do. Um, you know, this community of people that are touched by this disease. And so uh, I'm really excited to hear your story firsthand and be able to help you kind of guide it through on this podcast. So with that, I'm going to hand the mic over to you. As I mentioned before we hit record, this is kind of your opportunity to kind of share with our community and the audience listening or watching, you know, your background with pancreatic cancer. And as I said, uh, before we hit record, you can stay as high level as you want, or you can get as deep in the weeds. And with that, the microphone is yours, Anna. Okay. Um, thanks. Well, um, before I had pancreatic cancer, I had bladder cancer and it all started, uh, Father's Day, uh, 220, 2022. And, um, I had blood in my urine for three days and I hadn't had blood in my urine for decades. So I um, messaged my primary care physician who said, I got a urinalysis set up for you, come on in. Uh, but I was actually going out of town. So I didn't go in and uh, while I was out of town, the blood went away. So I came home on a Sunday and I thought, hey, I'm in good shape. But then I thought I better go get that urinalysis. Hmm. So um, I did, and I was very glad that I did because it showed that my white and red blood cells were way out of whack. I mean, just astronomical. So um, that got me an appointment, a referral to a urologist. And um, But before I went to the urologist, my primary, who is just a wonderful, wonderful doctor, said, I think I'm going to get you a CT and an MRI. And I was like, sure. 
fine. So I'd never had either before and had both. And they both came back showing that I did have a mushroom-shaped tumor in my bladder. And I also had a spot on my pancreas head and a spot on my pancreas tail. Hmm. So that was um, pretty heart stopping. Um, but I met with the urologist pretty quickly and he pretty quickly um, whittled the, the mushroom shaped tumor out of me, which was cancerous. And uh, right after that surgery, I got flooded with, uh, my bladder got flooded with something that included chemo. So um, I was pretty well taken care of bladder wise. And I've had three or four, probably three cystoscopies, which is how they, they look at your bladder after that. And my bladder cancer is fine. It has not come back. And my, my doctor is pretty happy with that. Well, I'm pretty happy also. But uh, we had the bladder, we had the um, pancreas spots to take care of. So my um, doctor uh, referred me to uh, the University of California, San Francisco, UCSF, which um, I had found out uh, had was like 15th, ranked 15th in the nation for cancers, according to U.S. Uh, News and World Reports. So um, I got referred to a surgeon. I saw him about via Zoom. It was all done over Zoom uh, about two weeks after my bladder um, surgery. Uh, that's when they thought I was I was healed enough. So um, met with him and gave him the rundown. He saw the CT scans. He saw the, the MRI. And um, he said, well, you, you need a real diagnosis diagnosis. I mean, it, it, you know, it looked like cancer to me. And from everything I'd been reading before, before that meeting, it sure didn't look good. So um, I had another CT scan at UCSF. And then I actually had to have two diagnostic surgeries, the one where they go through your throat mm -hmm. to, to carve out the cells. Uh, the first one came back inconclusive. And that was about that was about two months after the first meeting with the surgeon. So that came back inconclusive, which I knew was possible. So I said to the surgeon, uh, who was a different surgeon, I said, I said, so you want me to come back in three months or so? You know, do I need to let it grow? Or and he said, no, I want to see you next week. So um, uh, the week after that, I was back in in surgery and. Um, it came back the next week. He called us up and my husband and I were both on the cell phone. And and when a doctor starts by saying, unfortunately, you know, it's it's all over. So um, I had cancer. I had pancreatic cancer. And uh, they didn't really give me a stage at that point. They said, you know, we'll know more after surgery. Uh, but it took uh, about two and a half months before I got the surgery. And I had surgery earlier this year, and they removed uh, my entire spleen and two-thirds of my pancreas. So they removed the tail, the, the middle and the tail that had the, the real spot on it. They left the, uh, the head, so I have a third of the pancreas, and uh, that spot on there, which they, are, which they believe is a net, a slow-growing um, neoendocrine tumor. So, and they're, they've never been concerned about it, and they're still not concerned about it. Uh, 
So, but I am, I mean, I always ask like, what's going on there? And it's like, oh, it's okay. So I got a question real quick, cause you just mentioned sure. some key information. So they confirmed it was pancreatic cancer and then you go in for, I would assume the Whipple is what you're describing. No, um, no. Oh, pancre- I just, I, um, so was it a pancreatectomy where they just chop the tail and yeah. take out? Yep. Okay. Yeah, they just take the spleen, they take the middle and the tail, yep. and they also took um, 24 lymph nodes. Okay, to make sure, mar- the, see where it spread. So was the primary tumor or was the cancer that they took out a neuroendocrine? Or the- no, no, it's oh. adenocarcinoma. So the, oh, wow. the big one by the tail. So I had two different types. Um, wow. And I haven't heard of that being common. Yeah, that well, that's why I was going to say, that's why I asked because usually it's one or the other. Um, it's interesting and, and I'm not a physician or a researcher, but um, that would be very interesting to kind of deep dive in to see like how many cases show, you know, that you have a neuroendocrine tumor on one end and then an adenocarcinoma on the other end, which is very fascinating. So to get back to then, so you have the surgery they leave the other tumor in there um, on the head. Um, do you do chemotherapy then I would imagine post-surgery or how does that work? Like where do we go from there? Right. I, I went into chemotherapy about six weeks later. Okay. Um, so the, the surgeon was finished with me. Oh, I came out of surgery not needing to take any enzymes and not uh-huh. diabetic. That's positive. Except uh, once I started chemotherapy, I became diabetic. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so um, had surgery. I recovered pretty quickly, and my scars are are all gone. And um, met my oncologist. They kind of do surgery, then they do. Here's your oncologist. Correct. So, when, uh, just as I was going to start chemotherapy on fulfurinox. In uh, late February, I had a CT scan, and that scan came back with, and that was the first CT scan I had had since the end of September before my diagnosis, and that scan came back with um, kind of a shadow or a spot on my liver, and that's where um, my oncologist pronounced stage four. And he also w- took it to the tumor board at UCSF, and and it was an agreement that it was stage four. Although I disagree. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I I mean I I don't feel like I have stage four. Um, I don't act like I have stage four, and I I really think that my my bladder tumor came up because in order to show me what was going on with my pancreas. Yeah. There's some, I think there's some internal connection there. I know it sounds like hocus pocus or, or wishful thinking, but um, I, I just think that since I was my, my pancreatic cancer was found so quickly and so early that um, it's not stage four, but maybe we're all like that. Maybe we all, for the first year or so, it's like, no, I'm not stage four. But um, subsequent CT scans 
have shown the spot on the liver um, has gone down. And then the last scan I had, which was um, after I finished chemotherapy in September, uh, the doctor wrote that the liver was unremarkable. You know, so the, it's fascinating hearing you tell that because so I think as human beings and, and I think the science and the medical professions have this like everyone has to fit a box, right? And I get it. Um, but I also feel to your point, like you said something very powerful there just a second ago, like you didn't feel stage four. And just because you have the spot on your liver, like you feel good, you're doing good, treatments are going well, but the medical profession has to put a label or label, right? Like we have to label all these patients, right? And, and I feel like in my experience, sometimes that does more harm than good. Hmm. Because from a psychological standpoint, and this is like what we talked a little bit about before we hit record about survivorship, right? Like if someone, you know, has high quality of life, I, I, has high quality of life. They're responding well to the treatments. And yeah, I, I, I guess I can see both sides because I guess medically, you know, from a, everything is so finite, right? Like the facts are what they are. The, the data equals what, what things are right from a, but I, I tend to tend to kind of think that in my experience, Like I, I've met so many stage four people that are that are living and thriving at life. And statistically, like if you talk to a medical profession, they're like, oh, stage four. Wow, that 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 you know, wow. But in my experience, like I've seen stage four people run marathons, like go on amazing adventures, climb mountains, and they're stage four. And how can that be? Right. Like part of part of our society like puts wants to label, you know, stage four or like, oh, that's it. Like, you know, um, you can't do all these other things, but then like you realize like you feel good, you have high quality of life, you're able to do these continue to do these amazing things. So I, I, I don't I don't necessarily agree with like the medical profession on that, like on how we label people. And you know, I get it. I get I guess they have to do it to to from a data standpoint or from like the way that science is done, but I also feel like it, like the psychological aspect of doing that like has such a negative push to people. And and I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that makes sense to you, Anna. I mean, I, I don't know. For, I guess just given my experience and I'm not trying to like make this about me, but again, I've seen stage four people do like amazing things. Like there's a guy that's going to run a marathon. There's a guy that was just running a marathon, the stage four. Like I don't know. We had another guest on the podcast, you know, doctor gave him stage four diagnosis. And now he's like, no evidence of disease. You know, we just had a lady we inducted to the uh, Project Purple Hall of Fame. She was stage four. She did 87 rounds of Flafluorinox. She has no evidence of disease. So I, I, I hate I hate that that we have to label people, you know, with that. And there comes such a negative connotation, I guess, with some of those labels, I guess, is what I'm trying to say here. 
Well, I, I agree. And, and in that same conversation where he said, you know, we're here stage four, that's when I, you know, it's like, well, how long do I have to live? And that, that was my thought. And uh, if I, if he'd said stage three, then I would have been, let's go party. But yeah, <laughs> you know, stage four, it's like, well, I, I better, um, you know, put together a list for my husband of things he needs to know about. Yeah, so, all those know, passwords. It, yeah, oh, that's that's one of the that's one of the lists, you know. But yeah. you know, if if we have to be stage four or stage three or stage two, maybe it has to be four A through four Z. Correct. And if it is 4A through 4Z, then I'm 4A. Yeah. I, I can't run a marathon just because I never could, but um, I'm I'm working all day and and exercising and seeing friends and cooking dinner and um, trying to get back to normal as much as I can. And I and from your podcast, I've been so inspired because I've seen more people who are who are like me. And I really thought, and I, I continue to think that I'm kind of an outlier um, since I am doing so well, because it just seems that stage four is supposed to be more of uh, four months to live. And that's well, definitely me. I'm glad you bring that up and, and we can spend some time on here on this because I, I think, you know, again, I go back to that survivor piece and I know uh, I use the word journey we're going to use episode, you know, for your, for your episode here. And I think, you know, not only is it staging, but it's also, um, society as a whole has this way of, Ooh, pancreatic cancer. Wow. That's bad. Like, yeah, we know it's, I, you know, it's bad. You're going through it. You've gone through the treatments, but you still live, you still do amazing things. And, yeah, I use the word of a of a marathon. I don't know, maybe that's just maybe not 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 trying to be offensive to anyone. I, I just think, you know, to your point, continuing to live life the way you love to live life is like being in a marathon. Right. And in in the sense that, you know, you have this label, okay, this label of that stage four, which Medical professionals say, oh, you can't, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be, you know, you got to do this. You got to do that. Um, but no, I'm going to do this on my own terms and I'm going to live my life, continue to live my life and keep doing the things I'm doing is winning. And that's impressive. And, and I think that's something that's really missed. Um, I'm not trying to like say like, this is not serious, but you're going through it. It's your, you know, it's this, this time in, in life and the episode that you're going through. Um, but you're still, you're still here. You're still having these huge wins and, and keeping doing what you're doing. And, and the fact that, you know, you're, you're tolerating this, this treatment very well. And that last scan showed, you know, nothing on the liver is just amazing. I do have to mention that, that it also said that my spleen was unremarkable. And I don't have a spleen. <laughs> so, that, so that does give me a little pause. But um, but I, I see that as good news. And uh, I went through uh, 12 treatments of Fulfurinox. And um, I had very light uh, side effects. 
I mean, I had fatigue and that lasted for a couple of days and I had diarrhea, but I had no nausea, which to me is a big victory. Um, no, no nausea or vomiting. And I got through uh, the chemo pretty well. So now where you are right now, the last scan you said um, looked positive. So are you on what we call, I guess, in the, or not what we, but the medical community calls kind of a chemo break or what, what is, what is treatment looking like right now? Right. Um, so I, I ended um, Fulferinox uh, the end of August and sometime in November, I'm going to go on capsidivin. Yep. The, the oral chemo. So that's the next episode. And um, I'm also going to be in a clinical trial, um, which is just really taking blood. It's not going to be um, dosed with medicine. I was um, being looked at to be in a clinical trial for a new medicine with capsidivin, but my bladder cancer um, excluded me from that. Mm-hmm. So, cause I was, um, you know, I feel like if I am a warrior, I'm kind of like the least warrior of all. Cause I, cause I've, I've had a pretty, um, easy journey. You know, it, it's been, it's my husband has just been marvelous. He's been my driver and, and he's always there with me. So, um, I haven't had to worry about a lot of stuff. So I, I just don't, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've put up a couple battles and I've, I've, God knows my oncologist will say I've been persistent and his staff, <laughs> they will, they will say I've been as persistent as a warrior, but I, but I, um, I almost feel kind of guilty because I have been reading about other cancer patients. I mean, I, I keep up with them on social media and, and I've been reading a lot of books and, and, you know, so many people and well, and I saw my mother's cancer journey and that was so, it's so gruesome and I've been spared that. So I, I'm, I'm totally in awe of so many other people. And I, I kind of feel I'm at the bottom of the yes, uh, pan can warrior, which, which, which is okay for me, but I would hate for someone else to feel that for themselves. You know, if, 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 and, and, you know, one of the reasons I was interested in doing this talk with you is that I, that I will look at it later and I'll go, oh, gosh, Anna, I can see that, you know, this is what you were thinking and, you know, you do, you deserve this or let's do something different. So I'm, and, you know, it's kind of like being with a shrink for an hour and a half or 45 minutes. So I'm going to look back on this and, and understand more about myself. I'm going to take that last uh, sentence or that last phrase you just said, being with a shrink as a compliment. Uh, as this <laughs> yes. is like therapy. Thanks, Anna. Um, so I, I, I got a question here as we as I put on my, my shrink hat here. Um, what was your life before all this cancer diagnosis? Like, what did you do, um, first of all? What was like you? Um, my, my background is um, I'm a, I have a master's degree in history. So I've been a history student all my life. And I made my money working as a writer. 
I was a tech writer with IBM and a, a team lead and uh, retired in uh, 2008, 17, I think. And I retired to write, write historical fiction. So I had one book out come out in 2017, and I, I just released last week um, another historical mystery, which is, which is what I love to read and what I love to write. So I've always been a writer. I've always been a communicator. And um, my goal in retiring was to write nine books. You know, I have this series. I have these characters I love. And, you know, I wanted to write books. And I also wanted um, I, I wanted my husband to retire and we wanted to relocate. And in fact, when I when I first had the, the blood in my urine about a month earlier, we'd gone to Oregon and I was you know, once we came back, I was looking at how to get um, mortgages. You know, I was doing all the financial juggling of, well, if we, we put our house on the market here, then we can do this. And, and so we were looking at hitting the road, which um, once we uh, became associated with UCSF and, and the excellent treatment we got there and realized um, how fortunate we were to be with them, it's like, no, we want to stay you know, half an hour on a good day, half an hour's uh, car trip from UCSF. So yeah. uh, before this, I was a big planner. I had things, you know, planned. I had hopes. I had aspirations. And and with, with the uh, diagnosis, it's like you really can't plan anymore. Or you can't plan big or you can't plan, plan long, um, which is the kind of planning I'm used to doing. So yeah, got, a big part of me was whittled away because Anna Brazel planner is like, nope, that's not working. Well, yeah. And I, and I have to imagine Anna. So thank you, first of all, for sharing that. But I've got to imagine here that if your life is a planner and then now you're given this diagnosis and this is a little bit of how I go back to like this stage four talk and, and with this disease you, you know, you kind of go, oh God, like, yeah, they're, they really can't plan for any of this. It kind of puts all those gears and like puts all that aside, like, cause there really isn't any plan, really not much to plan in it. And maybe not, maybe I take back now that we, we talk out loud here, like the stage four stigma, because I do know like, you know, like, Hey, with this cancer, with the treatments, um, you know, one day you're up, the next day you're down and you, you ride the good days and hopefully have more good days than the bad days. But there is no guarantee of maybe not having, you know, any bad days at all. Um, you know, when I say bad, like, you know, whether it's nausea, fatigue, and, you know, clearly if you're planning and, you know, you're planning stuff, like you don't know what day you're going to have nausea or like to your point, like have diarrhea, which you're going to have to stay pretty close to a facility or else it's going to get like really embarrassing and really messy and no one wants that. Right. So that's got to be like, just almost, well, not torture, but like, you really have to like take a step back and get really uncomfortable if you're not a planner, cause you can't really plan anything. Yeah. Can't plan things. Or, um, I was able to do, um, when I was doing chemotherapy, well, the, the day I was told stage four, I mean, it sounded like I was going to die in eight months or so. I mean, that's mm. how I felt. It's like, I've got a year. And so I thought, well, and if the, if the last 
months are really bad and really painful, then I want some good times now. Yeah. So I, I said to my doctor, I said, can I do instead of two week cycles, can I do three week cycles? And he was like, yeah. So I went, when I was doing my chemo, I had like four or five three week cycles. So I could go to, um, I could, I could plan to be healthy enough to go to a bluegrass festival or awesome. to meet with some friends. So, um, so that worked really well. That that was like planning. Wow. <laughs> and we went, we went away, um, like before my last cycle. So I just had to really, um, talk to the doctor and let them, he, you know, he knew and his team knew what was important to me, but since it, you know, it, it, it turns out that I, I have more than that time. I'm, I'm quite sure. But I don't regret taking those three week cycles. So I, I'm going to throw a curveball here at you. You just gave some like amazing stuff here. There's a piece here that we talk about in this, this uh, episode with pancreatic cancer on this podcast. And then we talk about often, which is self advocating. And you, Anna, you may not have mentioned it or realized it, I should say. You mentioned it. You just hit a home run. So, and, and this brings me back. There's a reason why I ask these questions. As you said in before, like, hey, you know, I don't, I don't feel anything really special about my journey or, you know, I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you, you said something before, which I, I, I noted here. It was like, um, you know, I, I, I kind of have had it pretty little bit easy compared to what I've, I've listened to and don't feel that my journey has been any special, but what you just gave, when you just talked about, Hey, like extending the, the chemo cycles, like having this dialogue with a physician so that you can do things that were important to you is so freaking amazing and powerful because we often talk a lot on this podcast about this self-advocating and what you just gave was this magical example of self-advocating for oh. you, which is so powerful because Anna, I can't tell you how many times we meet patient families and they're, 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 they're reading and they're doing everything that the doctor says. And I'm not, I'm not advocating here that you should not do that. That's not what I'm saying here, but you need to, everyone needs to self-advocate for themselves because again, you, you're a survivor and you're, you're, you're living life. Yes. You, you, patients have this diagnosis. It is very serious, but the things that are important to you, you should still be able to do that when you feel really good. So having this dialogue, this this I call it kind of this warm and open conversation with your clinician is what everyone should have. Like I people have like this this um people often I say people, but patients often feel that like they can't ask certain questions to clinicians because they're a clinician. And I always say, hey, if the guy or if the clinician is a jerk, it could be a male or female go somewhere else. Like if he doesn't, if that clinician doesn't come in and say good morning or 
or and, and and maybe you don't need that. Everyone's different, but maybe there's answers, there's questions that you have concerning your treatment. Like you said, like hey, like I I really can we do three weeks instead of every two weeks? Absolutely. But every patient should feel like they could ask that question to their clinician and not feel like they can't ask that question because that person's their clinician, if that makes sense. That does. That does. And um, yeah, I, I, well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for the compliment, but I, I did. I asked and I asked for other things that I needed and, and got them and, and I asked for a couple of a couple of months of just feeling really, really good, not knowing what the capsidivin will will do to me. But, but that's so powerful, Anna, because this is it's your life. Well, that's just me normally. I mean I- no, but the, but I'm telling you, like this is the stuff that's so great about this podcast, and and this is I want to bring this back, as you said, you know, something that you said, uh, you know, earlier. Um, that's why it's so powerful sharing this and you have an amazing story because like not everyone self-advocates and I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, put shame on anyone, but just like there's not a book on how to fight cancer, sharing your journey on self-advocating and why it's so important to you maybe gives the person listening on the other side or watching the courage to do that. Or the example, Anna, which is so powerful of, hey, you can do that. Like no doctor is going to come in and say, hey, do you want two or three weeks in between treatment, right? But if you ask the question, just like you did, and you just gave such a powerful example, I guarantee the people on the other side listening and watching, guess what? Now going to ask. And you know what? All you could do is ask. And if the doctor says, hey, no, okay, then that's fine. Then, you know, maybe then the goal is to get to that point where people can can get into that area, that space or that treatment cycle where they have that. And that does give them the opportunity to experience things and to do things that they really want to do. Super powerful, Anna. Oh, well, thank you. And and I've got to say that my oncologist was very happy that I was doing things I wanted to do. You know, you he was very, very happy about that and making sure that I got time to like, like the end of my, the end of my cycle, I had a, a book club I wanted to talk to, but I knew I needed, you know, X amount of days to feel good. So yeah, I planned uh, my exit at, at just the right time so that I, but, but that's how I do things. So, so it's, it's worked out well. And, and I'm, <laughs> so the current thing is I'm hoping to, not start the capsidivin until after Thanksgiving. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know as a diabetic what I can really enjoy for Thanksgiving dinner. But I thought at least if I don't have uh, chemotherapy in my veins at this time, I might have a better Thanksgiving. So we'll see how that goes. But but I wouldn't want to extend my chemo free time if it's if it's not good for my treatment. But I but I have said you know after Thanksgiving would be ideal. I love it. I love it. Um, I've got a couple of questions here left for you, and then we're going to share where our audience can connect with you and follow your journey and learn more, excuse me, follow your episode and learn more about your episode. Um, 
you mentioned your husband a couple times um, already, and um, I know we were joking earlier <laughs> before we hit record about your last name and everything, but um, what has it been, and I know you can't speak for your husband here, uh, but having, I guess my question for you is having that support. Cause you mentioned, you know, he's been a big part of, you know, just the planning and everything and having him there. Um, and I often say like, no one should ever fight this alone. It's always important to have like a, a group of people and, and at least one person there for you. So let's talk a little bit about that with the support your husband has, has given for you and give him a, some, a shout out here. Well, I, you know, We've been married, I think, 28 years now, and we got married when we were 40 or so, 39. So we were, it was a, it was a good meeting, and um, I've known for a long time that he was just the salt of the earth and just a great guy. But he's just, um, I mean, he's he's totally devastated. You know, if if any couple thinks about who might die first. Um, you usually think that the husband's going to die first. And frankly, you know, I, I didn't plan for it, but it's like I knew that was a, a great possibility that I would live without him for a long time. But now when he's got the opposite, it's devastating for him. But he's just been there. Um, you know, he wants to take me to everything and he's there and he carries my um I'm going to cry. So I'm crying now, but I've seen other people cry. So it's okay. So, you know, he carries my bag and he drives me into San Francisco and back, which is not fun. Um, and uh, he's, he's still working. And so he's balancing that also. Um, but it's, uh, you know, we're, we're just a team. We don't have children. So we've, we have a very tight marriage and, and we're just a team. And this is what the team does right now. Thank you for sharing. Someone listening or watching this episode, given what you've gone through since the original diagnosis there with the bladder cancer, and you know, this is always kind of a hard or loaded question um, in the sense, like what advice would you give that person? And not necessarily like one thing, and there's no right or wrong to this, but again, given your personal experience, what are some things that you would say uh, to that person, you know, in terms of maybe things to avoid things to things to definitely take advantage of or to, to do, um, you know, given the experience you've, you've gone through over the last couple of years? Well, it's really only been like 18 months or so. I mean, it's 18, maybe even 16 months. Um, I, I, the big thing is don't think you have to be a statistic. I mean, you do not have to be a statistic. Initially, when um, I got the, the pancreatic uh, diagnosis, I felt good that I was a statistic because I had heard the um, 80% cannot have surgery, 20% can have surgery. So that 20% is like 12,000 in the United States. So I was like, I'm lucky. I'm one of the 12,000. And, and I still feel that way. But, but um, you know, when the numbers start turning against me, I'm like, you know, those are not my statistics. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I don't want to buy into that. So I, I think uh, we have to be selective on on what we choose to believe coming to us um you know my advice also would be um 
if you're not on, if you don't have a hospital or a doctor that has my chart mm-hmm. or some online way to connect to your doctor, you know, if they're not sending you email, if you're not getting text messages from them, you really need to do that because I do so much of my communication with the whole team um, through my chart. And I mean, just this morning, they were trying to schedule things for me. So um, I, I think that's one of the greatest tool. And, and I'm, I'm certain a lot of people don't use it, or they don't have access to it. But I, I think it is part of my team. Because just being able to communicate with people um, from my laptop or my phone, if I choose to, so that's really good. Um, you know, one of the things, and, and I don't know if this is controversial, but but I've never, I'm, I'm very careful about letting people who don't have pancreatic cancer tell me what to do, who have cancer but not pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just feel that this is so special. It's so individual. It's... Um, that it's its own world and a lot of things that other cancer survivors, survivors of other types of cancers have told me, I just kind of blank out because I just don't find it very helpful. Um, is that common? Have you heard that before? I think you're 120% right on that. I often tell people like, is it common? Let me answer your question you're maybe one of the few people that have brought that up, but it's such a, a, an amazing point because I think, you know, this, this, this cancer is so different. It, it, my mom's a two-time breast cancer survivor and like I'm very familiar with breasts and very familiar with pancreatic cancer, but they are like 180 degrees different from each other, right? Like they are so, so different. And I often hear people where this comes in is, oh, um, I got put into through my local hospital uh, support group, but I can't find anyone in there with pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, there's someone with lung, someone with breast cancer, someone with lymphoma. Um, and, you know, it's just very difficult because like no one knows pancreatic cancer. So the, the, the questions that I have, you know, based on my disease, you know, um, you know, the guy with lymphoma doesn't deal with like the GI issues, right? So, yeah, I, I think that's really, really critical and really, really important piece here. And that's where I, I always feel, I guess, to be like selfish here, like, you know, our podcast, like we, we've had other survivors on from other cancers, but 99% of the episodes, you know, are people that have had pancreatic cancer, um, you know, and have gone through that, that that cancer specific and can talk to people. And and I think, you know, I always tell people from an advocacy, advocacy standpoint, like, Hey, if you're what a generalist, a general oncologist, you got to go see a specialist who just deals with pancreatic cancer day in, day out, because it's so different and so specialized and everyone reacts different to treatments. And, you know, as, as we were saying, you know, we had episodes where people, you know, did 87 rounds of Flufornox, um, you know, which is different because some people I've known people that do two rounds and, you know, they just can't physically continue. Um, so that's where I, I feel you are 120% accurate when you say that. And it's such a important piece here because I think that is critical. I, I think it is 
to have people that you can reach out to that have gone through pancreatic cancer. And I'm not trying to also say like, hey, other cancers don't matter, but pancreatic, yeah, you know, pancreatic cancer to me matters more than any cancer. And, you know, I always say just, you know, given my personal experience and everyone's personal experience is different and we just got to respect those, right? Those differences. Um, And I'm not trying to throw down any other cancers, but, you know, hey, we focus on pancreatic cancer. But I do think to get back to your question, Anna, it is it is so important. I, I couldn't agree with you more that if you're battling through that, that you talk to someone and, you know, we have a network, um, you know, we're going to share your information here. We have plenty of guests come on and share their contact information. There's other groups that do connect, you know, survivors with fighters and, you know, alike. And so um, there's many ways to find that. Um, I always say, if there's a will, there's a way, there's a way to find that. My last question here, and, and as I always say, this is also another loaded question, and, and there's no right or wrong to this, Anna, but given your experience and the episode you've been in, how do you define the term pancreatic cancer? What is that definition for you? You know, before I had it, I would have just said it's a bitch because my understanding of it was you got four months to live. I mean, that um, I didn't know anybody directly who had it or died from it. But from the reading I had done, that was that was how I felt before I had my diagnosis. And now that I have my diagnosis, it's it, it again is um, it's uh, it's serious and it's life changing. Um, but you can live with it. I mean, I, it's definitely, you know, something you can live with. I know it's not a very profound definition, but um, I, I don't think it's, you know, it doesn't have to, maybe maybe the definition should be, it doesn't have to be a bitch. You know, <laughs> it's all I the way it. you look at it. You know, it doesn't have to be a bitch. Um, it's kind of like uh, my definition of a miracle is I'm willing to look at something differently. And you can look at pancreatic cancer differently. It doesn't have to kill you in the in the first year or second year or third year or fifth year. And I think your podcast has shown that. And, and I've, I've really appreciated watching watching the, um, the other survivors and warriors telling their tales. It's powerful stuff, Anna. Uh, I want to thank you for being our guest and, and for sharing so many golden nuggets here. And, and I go back to something you just said, and we're in a second, we're going to share where uh, our audience can connect with you. But, you know, you said, oh, I, I, I didn't, and I'm paraphrasing here. I'm just putting in my own words. Like you didn't have like a special story, but like, we've just given out like three amazing things that usually, um, you know, in a 49, we've been recording here for 49 minutes. Like we're lucky if we get like two but you just gave three. <laughs> and so um, you have an amazing story and I want to thank you. Um, and, and you truly are very, very special. So, uh, and I'm being sincere and honest when I'm saying that um, with this and, and you have an amazing ability to, uh, to share that. So I want to thank you for allowing us the opportunity to share your journey, um, excuse me, your episode 
with pancreatic cancer. Um, for our audience listening and watching at home, where's the best place? Maybe someone may have a question for you. They want to reach out to you. Maybe they're a reader as well. And, and maybe this just to talk about books um, or historical fiction. Where's the best place for the audience to reach out to you? I, I think probably Instagram. I, I, you know, I, I, I am a writer. I am selling a book and I'm selling the books of other friends. So a lot of what I do on Instagram is about literature and well, genre fiction really. So um, I don't post a lot about my pancreas because I don't feel um, I, I kind of don't want to mix it, but um, I, I am available there. So if you want to reach out to me and I don't remember exactly what my Instagram is, but if we I go got to it my, up. Okay. Because <laughs> if we go to my website that has my Instagram or Facebook, you know, Messenger Messenger is good. And um, I'm I'm really glad to share what I what I know. Um, unfortunately, one of our friends has pancreatic cancer now. And she's also going to UCSF and I've been trying to, you know, prepare her for, for what's going to be going on there. So I'm, I'm a kind of a, an old hand at it. And so your Instagram is real easy. It's just, uh, it's just similar to your website. So your website's Anna, A-N-A, Brazil, B-R-A-Z-I-L. And your Instagram is the same as Anna, A-N-A dot. Brazil, B R A Z I L. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I mean, I will be posting a lot during um, November cool. for pancreatic awareness, cancer. I just, I just went and followed you, so I yeah. love it. Yeah, I, I will, I will post a lot for there, and I also uh, like post in May for bladder cancer awareness month because I'm, you know, still watching out for that. Awesome. Anna, thank you for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast. Dino, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of the Project Purple podcast. If you liked today's episode, please share this episode and follow the Project Purple podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. That is a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple podcast. Thanks for listening. And until next time, please be safe.